Rinkwide Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to Free Casino Games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pad here with you once again as the NHL playoffs just continue to intrigue the Stanley Cup playoffs. That is, what a weekend, J-Pad, around the NHL. However, this is a Canucks podcast, of course. So let's yeah. let's get a little bit of Canucks. I don't want to say news, but a week today is the NHL draft lottery. So we decided throughout the week, we are going to give one spin of the simulator <laughs> each. Yes. You can start today. Okay. Now this could start the show off on a very positive tone, but it could also take a negative one as well. And I will admit, I did a little bit of uh, spinning this morning myself and I didn't have much success, J-Pat. So hoping that you do. So let's kick off the show right now. Is there a drum roll anywhere? There it we is. Don't, yeah, oh, we don't have the budget for a drum roll. So yeah, no, no. Uh, I'm using tankathon.com. That's uh, the uh-huh. website that I am using, and they've got their their sim lottery. And you're right. Uh, next Monday, May the eighth, is draft lottery day. So the teams that uh, have a, a ticket, they're going to be watching closely. Anaheim, Columbus, Chicago, San Jose, Montreal. They have the best odds, but again, it's a lottery, and lotteries are set up to produce more losers than winners. So even though Anaheim has the best odds at eighteen and a half percent. They still, you know, the odds aren't in their favor that they're going to win this thing. So, all right, let's see. Let's see if we can start this week off on a on a good note for the Vancouver Canucks uh, and their fans. As I hit the lottery button, the Washington Capitals Whoa. up seven spots. Obi's replacement in waiting. <laughs> the Caps will go My. to the podium first. Connor Bedard, haven't talked a lot about him going east. There's so many Western options for him. Uh, Washington followed by San Jose. And so San Jose moves up a couple of spots. Anaheim would then pick third, and that leaves the Vancouver Canucks where they are expected to be, and that is with the 11th pick. Yeah. So there you go. My simulation here wow. on week or day number one of this week leading into the draft lottery, Washington followed by San Jose and Anaheim. Well, there you have it. See, Canuck fans, like if Washington can pull it off today, maybe <laughs> exactly. the Canucks can pull it off a week from today when it really matters. But wow, wouldn't the NHL love that? Connor Bedard in the final seasons with Alex Ovechkin as he tries to chase NHL history. That would be something. And of course, uh, I think they would like Connor Bedard to be in the East considering that uh, the best player in the world is right now in the West. But yes, we'll do this daily, and hopefully uh, things will work out a little bit better. Like I said, I did a few spins this morning. I got 11, probably 80% of the time. The Canucks barely moved up each time I did it. So we'll see. We'll see if they can pull it off a week from today. All right, the Abbotsford Canucks are in Mm -hmm. a hole right now, J-Pat, in the best three of five series against Calgary, second round of the Calder Cup playoffs. They lose once again in overtime, this time 4-3 to Calgary in game two. Now game three, four, and five, uh, if they need it, of course, will be in Abbotsford. Game three will be on Wednesday, though, so a bit of a lull in between the games. But just looking at that game two, Matthew Phillips, the OT winner, for Calgary, but Nils Hoaglander, boy, yeah. this is going to be one of those games that he's going to wear for quite a while. Right, and Nils Hoaglander was uh, one of the huge talking points in that quick first round against Bakersfield, had uh, two-point nights in both of the Abbotsford victories, and everybody was saying, this guy looks like he's too good for the American Hockey League, and pencil him in on the big league roster next year. Uh, things change in a hurry, though, and Friday night, like, yeah, Abbotsford pushes Calgary for a second straight game. Remember, the Wranglers are the best team in the American Hockey League in the regular season. So 
Uh, they're close, but ultimately close doesn't matter because it's two overtime losses, and now they're facing elimination on Wednesday. And Nils Hoaglander took four penalties, four separate minor penalties on Friday night. All of them were stick infractions, high sticking, slashing, tripping. You know, you got to be in control of your, your stick. Um, he was in the penalty box for the overtime winner as well. Yeah. Uh, his stat line on Friday, no points, eight penalty minutes, one shot on goal. Oof. So, yeah, I, look, this is crunch time. You need your best players to be your best players. Archie Baines had a couple of shorthanded goals, so uh, he stepped in, and that's great to see. But as good as Hoaglander was in the opening round, uh, I want to say he's been invisible, but he hasn't because his name's been on the score sheet. It's just over in that column on the side there that uh, you don't want to be. Uh, and if it was a isolated incident, like you'd say, okay, bad night, obviously you can't be doing that. But he had two penalties in the opener as well, although one of them, uh, uh, look, if we're going to keep it real, uh, one of them was for unsportsmanlike conduct after the overtime winner in game one. So he wasn't okay. in the penalty box then, but yeah. still yapping at the officials. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like you would have thought. And, and the thing about Friday night was he got through the first period unscathed. So all of his penalties came after the opening 20 minutes. Like this guy's a leader. He's one of their go-to guys. They just need a whole lot more, uh, a lot more discipline, obviously, but a whole lot more offensively if they're going to extend their season. Now, uh, we'll see what happens. Abbotsford back home, as you said, the remainder of the series, as far as it goes, uh, will be played at the Abbotsford Center. And then there was news today that maybe it'll distract the Calgary Wranglers. It uh, happened above them, but the Calgary Flames punting Daryl Sutter. Yeah. And it sounds like Mitch Love, who is the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, already has the inside track to get promoted from their American Hockey League affiliate. So uh, maybe that'll distract the Wranglers and uh, they won't have their full attention and the Abbotsford Canucks can, you know, chip away at this uh, series lead. But Arthur Silovs was in goal on Friday. I think it should be Arthur Silovs from here on out. I know that Jeremy Colleton has been alternating his goaltenders. They were both winners in the opening round. They both lost now in overtime. But in the big picture, for the good of the organization, both at the AHL level, but the NHL level as well, like Arthur Silovs needs these sorts of experiences more than Spencer Martin does. So facing elimination, back to the wall, all the hockey cliches. I think there's more benefit to Spencer or to Arthur Silovs. Plus, if you're facing elimination, like why wouldn't you go with your season-long MVP? Like that just to, to me that you know they've both shown that they can play and perform at this level. There isn't a whole lot to pick between the two of them. Uh, but I don't know. Like if I'm the coach and the chips are down. I'm turning to my MVP, hoping that he can come up with some sort of MVP-type uh, performance. So it'll be interesting to see who gets the call uh, on Wednesday night in goal. And, you know, uh, other circumstances, if this was regular season and Niels Hoaglander takes four penalties and they lose, like, I'd probably be in favor of sitting the guy down the next game. If you're really, like, trying to teach a lesson, I don't think you, yeah. don't think you can go to that length uh, when you're season is on the verge of coming to an end. So I would anticipate that Nils Hoaglander will be in the lineup, but you know, I, I, I just wonder, uh, some of this is about, uh, you know, reinforcing good habits and all that. Remember last year, Danilo Klamovich didn't get into the playoffs because they were trying to teach him how to be a professional. Right. And that was some tough love, different story, different player, but we saw, and different coach, in fact, because it was Trent Cole as the head coach at the, this time last year. Um, but you know, in the regular season, 
it wouldn't surprise me if uh, they went to the lengths of scratching Hoaglander for a game to deliver the kind of message that that is unacceptable. But I think you have to have uh, old Hoags uh, in the lineup on on Wednesday night. I wonder what the upper brass of the Canucks think of that uh, performance from Nils Hoaglander. As well, you mentioned our... a lot because uh, oh, of course, right, yeah. good vibe, yeah. right? Like it, people really seem to think that, like you know, this guy had shown so much, and and those uh, games against Bakersfield, the brass was out there watching him firsthand. He was doing his thing. Um, you know, I don't know who was in Calgary looking on, but I'm sure they all get reports. And yeah, I can't imagine that anybody in the organization uh, terribly impressed with a guy, uh, even though he's young. You know, three years of professional hockey now almost qualifies as a veteran. You, just, you can't. You cannot be doing that kind of stuff. Uh, certainly not at crunch time in the playoffs. You mentioned Archie Baines, who had uh, two shorthanded goals on the same p- penalty. He, he, yeah. Did you see who the penalty was on, though? It was Archer Seelofs for roughing, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny. So Seelofs takes uh, not only Seelofs was brilliant in this game, by the way. If you haven't uh, had a chance to uh, see any of the highlights, like he really kept the Canucks in the game. And I'm with you with uh, in, in terms of who should get the start. I think he should ride that horse uh, in Seelofs as well. But yeah, he took a, a roughing penalty, and R. Steve Baines was able to capitalize. They were up three one going into the third. I know I, that's the, the other part. That, you're right. I'm glad you brought that up because that's the other part of the story. Like I don't care even if you're the underdogs in the series best team you have a 3-1 lead going to the third of the yeah. playoffs come on you gotta bury yep. gotta lock it down and uh, unfortunately they couldn't and so you know again we talked last week about calgary making this choice of do you start at home with two games or do you want home ice at the back end and i think the strategy for calgary was to get the two nothing lead take full advantage of home ice and they had to work for it and so abbotsford's got things to build off the fact that they've pushed this team to the limit both games, but Calgary very much in the driver's seat now. Just need one win in the uh, three potential games played out here in the Fraser Valley. And of course, you're going to be out there for uh, game three. And there was some rough stuff in this one. So yeah. very interested to see, you know, what the temperature of this game is going to be. No, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and you're right. Uh, I'll be out there on Wednesday and then a full recap here on rink wide on Thursday. Sweet. All right. Uh, this isn't so sweet for the Canucks, though. The uh, annual, I don't know if it's an annual thing, I guess it would be, but HockeyProspecting.com put out their pool rankings right now for their prospects, and the Canucks are sitting at 28th on the list. And as as I scrolled through this, because you sent this over to me, and I'm scrolling, and I'm scrolling, and I'm scrolling, and I'm watching these teams that are still in the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs, and where the hell are the Canucks here? And yes, of course, I got to them at 28. Uh, here's their analysis. The Canucks have a really shallow prospect pool. There's really, there's little to no star potential in it. And even the NHL potential is subpar. That is not good for the Vancouver Canucks 28th in terms of prospect pool depth. Right. And just to bring this full circle then to the way we started the show with the draft lottery. Yeah. The Columbus Blue Jackets are tops. Yeah. If you remember five minutes ago, the Columbus Blue Jackets are going to get the second overall pick. Yeah. They're going to grab Adam Fantilli uh, and add him to their prospect pool. Uh, that's assuming that Montreal holds on to the first. I don't think Montreal would be trade. If Montreal gets the first pick, I don't think that they're... Or check it out. No, Washington, right? It was Washington. Washington. Sorry. Yeah, getting ahead of myself here. But but CBJ is going to get another really good piece here uh, this year. And they've already got what they consider the top prospect pool in the National Hockey League. Uh, according to uh, the website here, Columbus, Minnesota, Montreal, the New Jersey Devils are fourth. Like, just that's okay. Right there is the conversation stopper for me. Like, the New Jersey Devils are on the verge of moving to the second round. 
already with the Game 7 tonight against the Rangers, they've got the fourth best prospect pool. Like, Luke Hughes has just joined this team. And Simon Nemich, the other defense, like, they're going to insert two of the best young defensemen in the world onto this roster in probably as soon as next fall. Like, that's the issue if you're the Vancouver Canucks is you're trying your best to build and you've got these foundational pieces and the core that we always talk about. And then you don't have anything to surround them for, with from within. And yet you're the New Jersey Devils who are in a game seven in the playoffs, finished 20 some odd points ahead of the Canucks in the regular season. You've got all this young forward talent. And oh yeah, you've got these two amazing defensemen waiting the wings to get in there. You look like you found your goaltender now in Akira Schmidt. That's the danger for the Vancouver Canucks because the Devils are just entering their competitive window now. So even if the Canucks put a three-year timeline, like the Devils look like they're going to be an absolute beast here for a while. And that's the frustrating part, I think, if you're the Vancouver Canucks. And it's not just New Jersey. You know, look at Ottawa. Like Ottawa looks like it's knocking on the door of really getting ready to ramp things up. I know the LA Kings just lost to the Edmonton Oilers, but... For years, the Kings have had the best prospect pool in hockey, and they still have a deep pool. And so, yeah, it's disappointing that they lost to the Oilers in the first round, but the Kings aren't going anywhere. Like, they're going to be around here for a while. Uh, You know, Buffalo looks like it's ready and easy to say after, I mean, they missed the playoffs for, what is it, 12 straight years now. But one of these years, the Sabres are going to figure it out. And so that's the danger. You try to build the best team you can if you're the Vancouver Canucks, and then you take it to the playoffs if you get there, and you see how you stack up against other good teams. And you need a lot of luck. I mean, we're all still trying to process what we've seen here this uh, opening round and, you know, what what lessons can you learn. Uh, But, yes, when a team like New Jersey is into a Game 7 in the opening round and has the fourth-best prospect pool, and then you look at the Vancouver Canucks way down there. Yeah way outside the playoffs, and 28th ahead of only Pittsburgh, Washington, the Islanders, and the Boston Bruins, teams that have been in win-now mode and have won uh, in recent years. And then you're the Canucks with the 28th best prospect pool. Uh, that's troubling. It is. Like, there's no other way to look at it. it that that hurts. We always talk about numbers that hurt. That's a statistic that hurts right there. Uh, the Canucks sitting 28th with the prospect pool. Well, now that Washington's going to get Bedard, they'll shoot right up, right? Yes, <laughs> right. So that uh, would change the conversation a little bit, uh, perhaps. But, uh, um, you know, the one thing, I guess, when you look at the Canucks, Jonathan LeCaramacchi's season came to an end over the weekend. His Jurgardens team lost to Moto. It was a promotion game to get back into the Swedish Hockey League. And Moto, the Twins and Marcus Naslund, Peter Forsberg, uh, all the guys that have come through that Moto system, uh, they prevailed. So they will be back in the Swedish Hockey League, and Jurgardens is going to reign in the Elsvenson, the, the second division. Uh, now, there's a question about, you know, what's best for LeCaramacchi? Where is he going to play next year? Is there a way that the Canucks can broker some sort of deal that'll get him in the Swedish Hockey League? And I think that's probably where they would like him. And I think for his growth and development, if he can bump up and, you know, whether it's a loan or however uh, they make it happen... I will say this, though, that he did sort of have some redemption uh, after what looked like it was going to be a lost season for LeCaramacchi. And remember at the World Juniors, there wasn't a whole lot there and people were down on him and he had mono and he got hurt. He finished with 15 points in 15 playoff games. I mean, this is a guy that is supposed to be an offensive driver and, you know, high end skill. So I think that's promising to see that he had 15 playoff points. 
Um, and the other thing to remember is he's only 18 right now. He doesn't yeah. turn 19 yeah. until July. So wherever he plays next year, and I know that there's been some talk about uh, could they get him over here to North America somehow, um, you know, Canadian Hockey League, whatever. Uh, you know, could he come over here wherever he plays next year? He'll be a teenager. His birthday's in July. So he will turn 19 this July and all of next hockey season. He'll be 19. So there's still time on his side. He has indicated that he thinks it would be best for him to stay in Sweden. And I would think with a Swedish general manager and Patrick Alvin, Michael Samuelson on the ground over there in player development. Uh, yeah, I, I think if a player indicates that he thinks that's best for him, uh, then, you know, instead of pulling him way out of his comfort zone and, you know, peeling him away from his parents and far from home, like one more year of growth and development at that point in his life is yeah. probably not a bad thing for Lakaramaki. So I would, I would think the best place for him next year would be the Swedish hockey league. So bump up a league, play against the best players possible over in Sweden and see how you stack up. You can still play the world juniors next year and then come over to North America. There's three teams from the Pacific Division in the uh, top 10 of this rankings as well. Anaheim, yeah. uh, Ar- Arizona, Anaheim, and uh, L.A. L.A.'s at eight. And then- right. And and I know we did the tankathon, but again, the best odds are Anaheim. I bet you at some point in this week, if we do the simulator, oh, yeah. Anaheim, you know, and, and that could, you know, a seismic shift in all of that, that all of a sudden the Ducks who have this incredible prospect pool are going to add the best prospect of the last five years to it. Uh, that could change the conversation in a big way as well. So, yeah, I mean, these are the challenges the Vancouver Canucks face. As much as people want them to take strides and move forward, uh, you're capped out. You don't have much in the system. And some of those teams around you look ready to absolutely burst. That's tough. All right. Well, let, I'm going to chart this then for the week. So okay. Washington was first today yep. and Vancouver finished 11th. Yes. Okay. So we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep on top of that. And we'll see exactly, yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, I would assume that the, the top odds will end up equaling itself out throughout the week, but we'll see. Who knows? Uh, Artu Ratu is one of the pros- top five prospects that's on the list as well. I don't know if I agree with this one. Kraftsoff uh, yeah, is in no, it. And they got the other Elias Patterson and Linus Carlson rounding out the top five uh, skater prospects for the Vancouver Canucks. So, I mean, when you say those names, like, I know there's some hope about the Elias Pettersson, and there's definitely some intrigue just because of the name. I don't know where Linus Carlson's at uh, in terms of his development. Maybe somebody who's watched him closer than you and I down in the AHL can tell us. But from what I saw early on, didn't really jump off the page to me. And then, of course, Kraftsov, we've seen enough. I don't even think he's going to get qualified. I, I would assume he'll be in the KHL next year. Yeah, I, I've got to go do a little bit more digging on the criteria here because uh, when I saw Kravtsov, but not Pod Coulson and not Hoaglander, like I don't know if it yeah. was, uh, you know, they're both younger than Kravtsov, so I don't know if it was an NHL games played type of thing or what the the criteria was. But uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes uh, you take these things with a grain of salt. But bottom line is, uh, when I saw the Canucks rank twenty eighth, that's not a great look for them. And it, look, it shouldn't come as a surprise. I certainly wasn't shocked. It was a question when I saw this graphic posted. I was like, all right, how far down are they? And keep looking, keep looking. And there they are at 28th. 
The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. All right, of course, during the offseason, you can always ask us uh, questions, ask JPAC questions, send them in to uh, us in the Go Goat Sports inbox at 778-402-9680 or at uh, Rinkwide Van. Uh, just look for the posts up there. We usually have it up weekly, and uh, we'll dig through it and see if we can answer some of these questions. But uh, we got one today from Sebastian, who sends one in and says, Ask JPAC, we've seen anything can happen in best regular season team both fail. Of the team still in it, what are they doing that the Canucks should be paying attention to? Yeah, we run this exercise every playoff. You try to, you know, uh, deduce like what makes teams successful at this time of the year. Goaltending obviously is a simple answer. And you look at Florida, it took them a while to, you know, get Bob back in net, but uh, he was, they, they got goaltending and uh, Linus Allmark, who was incredible all regular season. Now it's uh, coming out that he was probably not a hundred percent. Bruins maybe should have switched to Jeremy Swayman a little bit earlier, but uh, you know, Florida Panthers got goaltending Philip Grubauer against his former team. Like uh, Seattle goaltending was not a strong suit of the crack in, in the regular season, but man, they got goaltending when it mattered most. Jake Ottinger, I think most would agree has been the best goaltender uh, in these playoffs. And, and so we'll see if he can carry that on, but, you know, the teams that are around, I mean, Ilya Samsonov in Toronto, it didn't have to be spectacular, but had to be really good. And, and, and at times, uh, you know, critical situations in games came up with the save. So goaltending is a constant thread. Beyond that, though, uh, I, I just look at the, the contributions of depth guys. It's like the Seattle Kraken didn't hold Nathan McKinnon and, and, uh, Miko Rantanen in check. Like those guys put up big numbers for the Colorado Avalanche, as you would expect. But the Avs got almost nothing, like, I mean, almost nothing from their bottom six. And yet, what was the secret sauce for Seattle? It was the spread offense. Yeah. And Bjorkstrand was the 15th different guy in the series to score a goal for the Kraken. Uh, and he had a massive night in game seven. So I, I look at depth scoring uh, Edmonton, like, yeah, McDavid and Drysettle, they're going. But, you know, the other night, Kim, Clem Costin, uh, you know, Zach Hyman, who I wouldn't call him a depth guy, but he came through in overtime for them. But outside of your big guns, you need your big guns going. And you look around some of these playoffs and top scorers that, uh, you know, we spent enough time talking about Horvat and Anders Lee for the Islanders and Kapril Kaprizov uh, for Minnesota. And, you know, you need your best guys going, but then you've got to support them as well. And so some of these teams that are spreading the scoring around, uh, you know, me and defenseman scoring, like Brandon Montour has just been a monster for Florida in the opening round and was again in, in game seven and ties the game and sends it to overtime. 
Um, and so, you know, goals are being scored by defensemen around the National Hockey League in the playoffs. The Canucks don't get that. Um, and then, you know, like there is no one answer. Like there isn't a blueprint. Otherwise, every team would follow it. And if they all follow the same blueprint, I'm not sure how you'd produce a winner. So, you know, in a salary cap era, every team's going to have some warts. And then it's a question of who does the best job of uh, hiding them, covering them. Uh, you know, getting guys that can step up and and do the thing. Like for Seattle, you know, yes, they won. It's an incredible story. They, it's more incredible because Jared McCann got knocked out of the series, and Andre Burakovsky hasn't played since uh, February. I think he had knee surgery, and and they'd have to get into the third round or the Stanley Cup final for him to come back. I mean, those are two massive pieces that really Seattle shouldn't be able to overcome, and yet uh, there they are moving on, and and Colorado's sitting at home wondering what happened. So. Uh, when I look at it, special teams, obviously, like, you know, I, I think Los Angeles was pretty happy with the way that they, how hard they played Edmonton. They pushed Edmonton. But you see the Oilers power play, like, it was the best in NHL history in the regular season. It went nine for 15 against the Kings. 56. 60, 60% or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 56.3% in the series. Yeah. So, like, it, you know, you, you just, you can't take penalties, but how do you defend Connor McDavid when he's in full flight? You end up putting a stick on him, you hook, hold, you know, all of a sudden, it's almost like a, you know, better than a 50-50 proposition that the Oilers are going to score on you uh, if you take a penalty. Like, that's some pressure to try to play, you know, error-free, penalty-free hockey, and it just doesn't happen. So, uh, again, like, you can have a checklist, but yes, you need your special teams going. You need goaltending. Uh, but I would say, like, if the Canucks are trying to take lessons out of this, it's they have to build out their depth. They've got star players. We know that. And you'd like to believe that Patterson and Hughes and Miller would all show up and produce in the playoffs. But do they have enough around those guys? And I would say that the answer right now is a resounding no. And that 3C position just seems so big for them to have to fill right now because you got to get that right guy. you got to get somebody that can produce, but get somebody that can also uh, be a decent two-way player as well. There's a lot of holes in this Canucks lineup. We went through all of it. You know, you wonder about that defense. Like, could that defense hold up in a seven-game series? I think you and I agree that it probably couldn't. So, yeah, there's a lot for the Canucks to have to to do in this offseason, but there's also their hands are tied a lot as well. So it'll be interesting to see exactly, you know, what Canucks management can squeeze out of this offseason and how they can better uh, this team. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Ring Quiet Vancouver is presented by Bodog, Canada's home for casino games and sports odds where everybody goes to play. Uh, we talked a little bit of the playoff talk there, but uh, let's dig into it a little bit deeper here as we do have a game seven tonight, Jay Pat, mm. the Devils and Rangers. It was the road series for a little while up until what was that? I guess game five. And then they swapped home wins. And now here we are back in the swamp. See if the devils can finish off the Rangers. Yeah. I mean, look, we had a nice uh, appetizer, if you will, with a couple of game sevens on Sunday. And then uh, this one as well. And you can't beat the drama and, and both the games on Sunday certainly had plenty of drama. So uh, 
yeah, looking forward to it. I mean, it's been an odd series because the first couple of games weren't close, and then the Devils found ways to grind out fairly close games. And then, as you said, two teams have uh, protected home ice. The Rangers, big winners the other night. And so does momentum carry from game to game? If you're the Devils, would you have signed up for a one-game winner-take-all against your rivals uh, with home ice? Yeah, you would have. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the storylines are there. And uh, let's see how it all plays out. Looking forward to it. And uh, I see that it's like prime time in the States. It's a five o'clock Pacific time. So eight o'clock puck drop at the Prudential Center. And uh, I'd be down Hey, Monday night. My schedule's kind of clear. I'd be down for a little uh, game seven overtime if the two teams decide that uh, they want to go that direction. What What's the biggest stunner here out of everything that's happened? Because you've got so many storylines. Of course, you know, the Bruins losing to the Panthers is massive because of the way the bees were in the regular season. The Kraken one's so big because of the cup champs. You got the Leafs finally shaking a monkey off their back, you know, slaying their own dragon in the in the Tampa Bay Lightning. But then also too the Oilers, the Oilers look good. And I, I think they were. They had to finish that series in six. I did not. I, if you're an Oilers fan, I don't think you wanted any part of game seven. We know how the Kings can be. They, they can suck the life right out of you, and Oilers were able to escape out of it. So, you know, what sort of jumped out? What was the biggest moment, do you think, of this first round for you? Well, I think the biggest storyline for me is ultimately that Florida knocked off Boston. Uh, and, and when you sort of scratch the surface and go a little deeper, I mean, the fact that the Bruins were up three to one in the series and Florida had no business coming back and yet they did. And how did they do it? By winning in Boston three times, three times. And then the, the final three times they played there, like the Bruins won the series opener. And I think people thought, all right, yeah, this is going to be a sweep. It's going to be easy. And we have seen this before. I go back to 2011 uh, in the first round against Chicago for the Vancouver Canucks. They had a chance to eliminate the Blackhawks in game five on home ice and didn't. And then had to go back to Chicago and then lost game six in overtime. And then you come back game seven and sort of all bets are off. Uh, and then, you know, you think about it, even in the next round against Nashville back in 2011, the Canucks had a chance to finish the, Pan uh, the Predators in five on home ice. Didn't. Had to make a trip back to Nashville. They won it in six on the road, but they made trips to and from Chicago when they didn't have to and a trip to and from Nashville that really they shouldn't have. And it all adds up. And so if you lost in Bruins, Yes, they lose in Game 7, but they very well may have lost the series in Game 5. Like, if you play Game 5 and you win, they, that was the one Kachuk won in overtime for them. Mm -hmm. If the Bruins win that, they're sitting at home, they're watching Tampa and Toronto, they're hoping that one goes 7, but they're resting up. Instead, they had to get on a plane, fly to Florida, play Game 6, lose that, get back on the flight, play Game 7, like So they played two games that would have been unnecessary had they finished the job in five. And the minute that Florida won game five, I, you know, Matthew Kachek kept saying, like, nobody's expecting us to be back, but we're looking, we're coming back to Boston. And, and sure enough, they did. And then they got it done. So uh, the whole home ice thing in the first round has just been shocking. Uh, but that one particular, the Bruins lost seven games in the regular season <laughs> and then lost three in a row on home ice and went one and three in front of their fans. So, um, you know, just quickly on the Bruins, again, incredible regular season. Nobody can take that away from them. But ultimately, it turns into a pretty disappointing season, and nobody's going to care about the regular season records. You know, we found out after the fact that uh, Patrice Bergeron wasn't healthy. He only played three games in that series. He was minus six in three games. Like, that's not Patrice Bergeron. He was on the ice for the game-winning goal last night in overtime. You know, we're finding out today that Joel Eriksson-Eck in Minnesota 
had a broken bone in his leg and tried to play in game three and lasted 19 seconds. And like we put these guys on a pedestal and I get that they're gamers and that they're important pieces to their own teams. But to what point? Like, what do you get if you're Minnesota out of taking a roster spot with a guy who's got a broken leg and can only give you 19 seconds and then leaves the game? And I get that this was sort of all about Patrice Bergeron, people kind of, you know, comparing this to the last dance of the Chicago Bulls. Like, the guy's been a legend. He has. I mean, best two-way forward in his time in the NHL. And he wants to give it a go. And I suppose you owe it to him to have the opportunity. But it was so clear that he was nowhere close to being the player that he has been throughout his career. And I would argue that he was a detriment to the Boston Bruins at the very end. And this probably is the end for him. You saw him with the, you know, the hugs for all of his teammates and tears welling up as he kind of did a quick twirl there at the end. It's probably the end of the line. And, you know, I don't say that lightly because I, I, nothing but respect for Patrice Bergeron. But this version of Patrice Bergeron, who was injured, I don't think helped the Boston Bruins. You wonder, like, you know, is 60% of Patrice Bergeron better than whoever's going to replace him? <laughs> And that's that was my the, question. I was just about to yeah, ask you. But, you know, they, they scratched Nick Felino. Could Nick Felino, and not that he's the same player or even the same position, but, but healthy. Yeah. move the pieces around and healthier players. And again, these are pro athletes are conditioned to think that they can play through anything. And we just see it all the time. And guys hide injuries at playoff time and we put them on a pedestal. And, oh, look at that. Like he played through pain. But ultimately, I wonder if they had it to do over and if they had sort of a truth serum here with the Boston Bruins have agreed to let Patrice Bergeron, like, you know, he played three games. Like, you play the first one, and if it's not going, then is it on you as a player to say, I just, I don't have it, and I'm not helping my hockey club. So there was no offense, and he got outscored badly in that series, and we're just not used to to seeing that. But, um, you know, guys try to play through it. It's a story as old as time, obviously, but I do wonder if that kind of, like, the Bruins looked, they looked so out of sorts in overtime. Uh, and the uh, nerves, I think the nerves. the whole yeah. history of yeah. you know you know the pressure, knowing that this historic season was on the brink, whatever uh, they were because Kachuk had the breakaway. There were a couple other opportunities, and the Bruins really generated next to nothing in overtime. And yet, the crazy part there is what they were under a minute away from sneaking by and and holding off uh, you know three two victory. So. Uh, incredible storylines, great drama, and good on the Florida Panthers, who a year ago were a 120-point team and won the President's Trophy and then, you know, made the offseason addition of Matthew Kachuk. Maybe they were better than people were giving them credit for. The other thing, too, is they played the Bruins tough in the regular season. They split their four games, two and two. Like So if you're Florida, nobody in the world was giving you a chance, but inside that locker room, you had to be thinking, you know, we beat them two of the four times we faced them. Like, it can be done, and ultimately uh, it was done. So good on the Florida Panthers. I have no idea how they're going to stack up or match up against Toronto now. Uh, it does feel like a path has been created for the Maple Leafs, certainly. Yeah, but the fans don't want to go down that road. But the Panthers can score. We know that. Yep. Like, they did it in yep. bunches last year. They couldn't defend that well. But I do wonder if they sort of learned from their mistakes, and ultimately at the end, you know, they got the bob that they're paying ten million bucks. They, they got that kind of goaltending when they needed it, and uh, they're through to the next round. So yeah. let's see, let's see where it goes from here. Yeah, no, I, I, interesting to see. You know what's going to happen with this Boston team? Like, I, I yeah, you're right. Like, if it, if it ends up being retirement for uh, Patrice Bergeron, he's headed to the Hall of Fame. We know that, but at the same time, too, like, do they take a step back? 
because they still they're still a very good team, right? Like they still a very deep team as well. So interesting to see exactly where uh, things go for Boston. But yeah, you're right. When you talk about the Panthers, like you can look at the regular season a record against the Leafs, which I believe was three zero and one for Toronto. But that's that stuff just gets all thrown right out the window right now at this time of the year, right? Like you can't look at any of that. And Boston being a prime example with their uh, sixty five wins. Uh, this season, a bigger, bigger story in Canada, though, is it Toronto or is it Edmonton right now? Oh, I think it is. It's Toronto because of the nearly two decade drought. Yeah. But in terms of teams that are going now, uh, man, Edmonton, Vegas, like uh, sign me up like I'm all over that series. Uh, but you're right. You said it earlier, like the Oilers, like they look just like they've got a swagger and it's it starts at the top, obviously. But, you know. This year, they're getting depth scoring that they haven't had in, in some years gone by. And, I mean, that was such a bizarre play with Stuart Skinner and the broken stick. That I mean, it looks terrible, obviously, in real time when, you know, he fans on the clearing attempt and Deneau just punches the puck home. But, uh, you know, not often you're going to find a goaltender that's out there playing unknowingly with a, with a broken stick. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, yes, it seems like a good turn for Toronto to get Florida rather than Boston. But... You know, I mean, it is hilarious just to see the reaction, the overreaction, people getting so far out of themselves in Toronto. And so I think that's going to be part of the challenge for the Leafs is to just, you know, stay within themselves and, you know, all the hockey cliches that apply about uh, one game at a time and focus and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, certainly uh, I think people are getting a little drunk on the idea of one round victory. Totally. Uh, There's still a lot of heavy work ahead and that discounts, you know, whoever comes out of this Ranger Jersey series, Carolina. Um, and then ultimately, you know, whoever comes out of the West, it, it feels like the hockey world is sort of sleeping on Dallas though, right now. And I'm sure the stars are totally yeah. fine with that, but there are so many shiny objects between the teams that have been eliminated and the ones that are, you know, through and, and sort of seizing this opportunity. And then you got the Dallas stars that are just laying there in the weeds and, and you'd have to think the same thing applies, uh, for Dallas that we just talked about with Toronto, like. You know, Colorado on paper looked like it would have been a way bigger challenge, but the way Seattle's going, uh, Dallas will have its hands full. I mean, that's just the way the Kraken play. So, but uh, the Stars, they look pretty good as that series went along, and it sounds like they're getting uh, Pavelski back, maybe ready to go for the opener of this next round against the Kraken. So uh, Dallas did what it had to do to take care of Minnesota, and uh, yeah, it just kind of feels like the hockey world sleeping a little bit uh, on those Dallas Stars. Where did we differ in our picks? I think it was in the Carolina, uh, New York series. I believe I picked the Islanders in that yeah. one. And then I had the Devils over the Rangers. And I think you picked the Rangers as well. So, right. Uh, yeah, so we'll see how those, or at least how that one works out. But, uh, speaking of the Islanders and, and, and Carolina, I saw a lot of Patty Canuck tweets yeah. over Bo Horvat <laughs> after they got bounced. And listen, like, if you're going to take a shot, do it then, I guess. You only had two points in the series. He had one goal. I mean, it's just ever since he's gone to Long Island, the goals have just dried up for Bo Horvat. I love the story behind Stastny scoring the OT winner, of course, uh, because of his dad and, and just the fact that they both scored OT winners in the Stanley Cup playoffs now. But I think the thing that really stood out to me as we always focus in on the Canucks is just sort of that, those petty shots that were taken at the ex-captain there after they got bounced. Yeah, and look, it, it wasn't just in Vancouver. I saw a couple of news articles that were carving Horvat, but but he wasn't alone. Uh, Anders Lee had a, just a brutal series. Zach Parisi didn't have a point either. I mean, the Islanders are built uh, this veteran lineup and, you know, a big heavy team. And I think people try and draw 
we did this earlier in the program. In fact, where we talked about like, you know, what are the common threads around these successful teams? Well, I'm not sure that there was a bigger, stronger, heavier team in hockey than the New York Islanders and they're out. And Minnesota certainly is built as a big, strong, try to run you out of the rink and they're gone. Um, you know, so I'm not sure that that element ultimately like size and the toughness has to be able to play. But and, and common theme there though, Kirill Kaprizov, one goal. Yep. Right. Bo Horvat, yep. one goal. Like you're, you're the guy. So yeah, you're a heavy team. So you can, you can handle yourself in that regard. You still your best goal. players have to yeah. step up and, um, yeah, look, I mean, you know, they made the trade, they got them into the playoffs, but you know, the, the, the minute that contract extension was signed, like there were some serious expectations that Bo Horvat was going to deliver a whole lot more than he did. So, uh, Islander fans are nervous. I've seen them tweeting about it. Like they're all over him. And the fact that, you know, they, they signed up, they're on the Horvat train now. Right. So. Right. And, and, you know, the same things that we say about JT Miller, like, you know, the next bunch of years, Bo Horvat should still be at the top of his game and be able to deliver. But what does he deliver? I guess is the question. Like, is he going to be a 60 point guy in that system until they find some young? And, you know, the Islanders pipeline is pretty empty as well. So there isn't a whole lot coming on the horizon there for them all of a sudden. I mean, we look, I think we all thought in Vancouver, eight and a half, like, that's not going to age well for for like it'll age well for Horvat himself, but for that hockey club. And yeah, I'm just really curious to see you know what does he look like over the whole season in that system. Uh, you know, is he with Barzell? If he's not, then who's he playing with and who's going to finish? And yeah, so there's some real questions there just about uh, the direction of the hockey club. I mean, Lamorello taking a, a beating. Uh, I saw people calling for his job. He's 80 now, by the way, which, uh, you know, he's the lifetime in hockey. I get that and the track record of success, but not a young man uh, at all anymore. And, and you just wonder how much longer he's got it in him to, you know, to stay with the, the day-to-day operations of running a National Hockey League team. I ain't saying anything about Lou. Because next thing you know, you'll come home and there'll be like a horse's head in your bed or something like Godfather style. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But I just I, I saw a few of those columns over the weekend as well. That uh, maybe it is time for him to to step aside and and let somebody else uh, take the reins there. All right. So uh, our playoff talk, of course, was presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at Jason Dot Mortgages. If you're looking for a mortgage, that's the guy to go to. Check him out at Jason dot mortgage and uh let's get into some of my bodog best bets because we do have one that was hanging from friday that i didn't hit on i had a four-team parlay uh boston carolina and dallas to finish off the series on friday and then the avs to extend i hit on three or four you guys know how it all played out so almost got it came so close i feel like this one's going to be a good one tonight though because i jack hughes is becoming one of my favorite players in the league I I love the kid's game. He's absolutely fantastic. I love his demeanor, everything about him. The Hughes family is going to run this this league. It's (laughs) going to be outstanding. But Jack Hughes, anytime goal scorer tonight at plus 130. To me, if you're getting plus money for Jack Hughes to score, I think you run to Bodog and you place that bet. So that is what I am doing tonight, Jake. Like that one. Yep. No, that's a good call. All right. I got something for you here. I didn't even bounce it off you before. It's because I wanted to do this live. All right. We'll do it live. This chip challenge thing, it's been on my mind. All right. (laughs) 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 So I got a proposition for you. And I'm hoping you can perhaps give me an out, but hear me out here. So as long as a Canadian team is in the playoffs, I just want to delay eating the damn thing. Okay. Yes. 
How about this though? And this is my out. If you allow it, if a Canadian team wins the cup, I'm out from doing it. I do not have to do it. Oilers Leafs. I'm riding them to the cup. So I don't have to eat this chip. Would you let me have that out? I would have felt better about that. If you had made that suggestion at the start of the playoffs. Yeah. yeah it's a little, yeah. It feels like uh, quite the get out of jail free card. Three now, rounds to wait. I mean, I understand, but there's only eight teams and yeah. I saw the athletic had the Leafs odds uh, considerably better than anybody else to win the Stanley the cup. Leafs, but, though. Oh, I know. <laughs> But I am a nice guy, and it was your birthday weekend, yeah. so uh, yeah, I mean, the listeners are going to hate on me for that, but uh, okay, I'll play along with yes. that one. You kind of played along in the hockey pool yes. throughout the year, gave me a few extra lives, so all right, now we'll see. Uh, this just gives me more incentive, I suppose, to cheer against the Leafs and, you go. and the Oilers. So. There you go. Yeah. See, right. and then you, the listener as well, can be cheering against the Leafs and the Oilers as well, because of course you're part of Canucks Nation. What do you care about the Leafs or the Oilers? Exactly. All right, all right, buddy. This has been another edition, and I thank you very much. By the way, this has been another edition of the Rink Wide Vancouver Podcast, presented by Bow Dog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wad. Remember, Rink Wide is the show. That always-